Welcome into Unsportsmanlike Conduct on KALA HD2 in the 106.1 FM dial. I'm Logan Howell. With me, as always, is David Meyer. And David, how are you tonight? I'm doing great. How about yourself? I'm doing really well. Excited for this Lakers-Warriors playoff mat- play-in matchup, I should say, tonight. So let's get right into the show here. And first thing we're going to start off with is our Athlete of the Week. At the end of the month, which is coming up here this weekend, the NBA playoffs will get underway, and every Tuesday this month, we've taken a look at a best NBA playoff performance. Our third performance this week is from Larry Bird. In Game 6 of the 1986 NBA Finals against the Houston Rockets, Larry Bird put up an all-time performance to lead the Celtics to their 16th NBA title. With a chance to close out the series, Bird turned in a triple-double with 29 points, 11 rebounds, and 12 assists. He led the team in all three categories. The Celtics would go on to win the game 114-97 to and clinch the series. This week, we looked at a dominant postseason performance by Larry Bird. Next week, we will look at our final best NBA playoff performance as we get into the NBA playoffs. The play-in tournament starting tonight. And speaking of the play-in tournament, this is something that's reported to be around for the next few years and years to come. Like This is here to stay after they tested it out last year in the bubble. Now it's a part of NBA action. David, my question to you is, are you a fan of this move? Do you like the play-in tournament? Yeah, I, I really like it. It's a great opportunity for seasons to be a little longer. I don't just mean more games are being played. I mean more meaningful games are being played. We see teams that would normally be out of it uh, a little earlier, like the Bulls this year, who almost made the play-in tournament, still actually trying in those last games to try and win and get the possibility of making the play-in tournament, making the playoffs. We didn't see that before the play-in tournament. So there are more meaningful games being played, and that's always important. Yeah, and NBA's always been a sport that tanking's kind of been an issue. It's been something that's been talked about. Obviously, you can't just get the number one pick based off of how bad you are. It increases your odds, but they had the lottery there at the NBA draft. And this also prevents teams from kind of tanking, trying to improve their lottery odds. A team like the Bulls, like you said, for example, I mean, in most seasons, they would have just called it. Like, that would have been it for their year. They would have kind of just fallen off a little bit, maybe rested Zach Levine a little bit. That all would have been options. Personally, for me as a fan, I also really enjoy the play-in tournament. I don't know how you couldn't enjoy it if you are a fan. This is one of those things where you get to see extra playoff basketball. And playoff basketball to begin with is already so much fun to watch. Now you get a few extra games and more high-stake games at that. You have teams here where right now we have the Grizzlies and the Spurs going at it. The Grizzlies leading 29-11. to The loser of this game is done. They're going home. The winner has a chance to play the loser of the Lakers-Warriors, which will happen later tonight. There's just so much suspense here. When normally basketball, you have a seven-game series. This isn't like that. So I really do enjoy this. And now looking at it from a player's perspective, if you were a player, would you want to have this play in tournament? I think it's kind of a double-edged sword. It's good for that uh, 9 and 10 spot. But for the 7 and 8 seed, not so much. It just kind of depends on the situation. If you're one of those 9 or 10 seeds, you get a chance to play in the playoffs. You get to play meaningful games and possibly win the finals. It's 
a little less likely, but you still have a chance. But when you're that seven and eight seed, you have to play another game where anything could happen. You could get knocked out and be a very tough team that should probably be a little better, but get knocked out early. Yeah, and I I agree with you. There's going to be some that enjoy it and some that don't. Specifically, you look at the Lakers. I'm sure they do not want to play in this play-in game because they were a team that, because of injury, they fell all the way down to that seventh seed. If this is a healthy Lakers team, they're a top three seed in the West, without a doubt. But now you got guys like LeBron and AD playing these extra games that they may not want to have to play, especially with all the injuries they've dealt with all season long. So I think for them, no. They, I mean, they're not going to be fans of this. But a guy like John ja Morant, who's playing right now for the Grizzlies, who finally has a chance to get some postseason action, absolutely. And I do think it's interesting they have 9 and 10 going at it. So you are able to really get a good grip of both conferences. Like, if you're a bubble team who got hot late, you can be very dangerous. One team that comes to mind for me, in the bubble last year, the Phoenix Suns, just missed that playoff. They went, I believe they were undefeated throughout the bubble. They were. And they just missed out on that extra playoff spot there. So a team like that who didn't do great all year but got really hot at the right time, they now become a very scary team. Looking at the game later tonight, the Warriors are that team right now. They're a team that for a while they were not going to make the playoffs, and now they snuck in there as the eight, and now they're one of the hottest teams in basketball. Steph Curry's playing like an MVP, and I believe in the month of April, averaged 37 points in that month, and he is the league leader in scoring after the regular season concluded as well with 32 points. So I think it's going to be real interesting, and when it comes to players, there's going to be some that like it and some that don't. depends which side you fall on there. And now we're going to take a look at the NBA playoffs, and there's so many big moments in the NBA playoffs. Last year, you had the Lakers winning in the bubble, beating the Miami Heat. You have Damian Lillard waving off Paul George as he hits the game winner over him. So many many memorable moments. We're now going to run through the playoff bracket. We're going to start on the Eastern Conference side here, and the play-in tournament is over. Well, not over, but the first two games are already done for the Eastern Conference. The first game that happened was the Pacers versus the Hornets. That was the 9-10 and 10 matchup, so loser does go home. And the Pacers blow out the Hornets in that matchup and move on. But if you are the Hornets, you got the 10th seed here. You missed LaMelo Ball for most of the season. He dealt with that wrist injury, but he came back for the playoffs. Are you still excited for what you have in the future with LaMelo Ball? Do you think they can be a playoff team next year after getting so close this year? Absolutely. They're going to have a pretty solid draft pick. Uh they're already a good team who was who had probably one of their best players injured throughout a decent chunk of the season. You're a little skeptical because uh, Gordon Hayward did not play that well this season. Didn't play up to his price tag, at least. But they'll be able to add some pieces in free agency and I think get better and really compete in the East. So I, I think they're in a pretty solid spot. Yeah, and... Just being in the East instantly helps your playoff chances um, because the East is a lot weaker than the West by far. And looking at this Hornets team, you named a couple guys like Gordon Hayward who really didn't play all that well. But another guy, one of their big free agent ads a few years ago, Terry Rozier, 
he was so often on this season. He'd have some really good games, some really bad games. I'd like to see him really become more consistent. Miles Bridges really kind of turned into something special for the Hornets. That's a player that they're going to really like moving into the future. Then obviously LaMelo Ball. He's a lot of fun to watch. He just has the ability, he just has the playmaking ability, but he also has the shot. When you look at Lonzo, he's always had the playmaking ability. You can't take that away from him, but he just never really had the jump shot, three-point shot. LaMelo is that. He has the playmaking ability. You see all the funky passes from him. But also, he has the three-point shot, and he is a more consistent scorer. So, for me, I think they can get in. Being the 10th seed this year after dealing with injuries, I think that's a good start for them. And pick-wise, I mean, you are going to have a relatively good pick now. You didn't get in to the playoffs, so you now have higher chances. I don't know necessarily if they make the lottery now because they do get in the lottery. Yeah, they do make the lottery. So, that's that's honestly pretty big for them. Because the Hornets, if they did win that game, wouldn't have won the next round. They would have been knocked out in the play-in tournament anyway. So, for me, getting that lottery pick, I think they do make the playoffs next year. I think... I think they'll make it maybe as even like a 6-7 seed because I do believe with the lottery pick and LaMelo Ball and Bridges and what they have, they can be a special team. And now looking at the Pacers team, a blowout victory against the Hornets in this 9-10 matchup. And I I'm was pretty shocked by a blowout, honestly. A lot of people picked the Hornets to win this game and move on. But looking at this Pacers team, can they be a sneaky team in this playoffs, or are they not even going to technically make the playoffs? I think they're going to be able to be kind of underrated, maybe put up a fight against, well, they have to beat the Wizards, but possibly put up a fight versus Philly if they get there. But they just have a really good like team mentality. I like the culture they have in their locker room. They have young guys who are just continuing to get better. They mesh really well. It's good chemistry there. And I think they really just need to add another star, possibly in the offseason, and then they can really take a step forward. Right now, I think they could make some noise in the playoffs, but I don't think they're going to win the finals. Yeah, the Pacers, they're a difficult team to really judge. Um, Karis LeVert's been a player that has played really well for him since getting traded from Brooklyn. Miles Turner, he's been a guy that I kind of expected to be a little bit better. Uh, he got real hot a few years ago, and I really expect him to keep that going. He hasn't done that. Then, obviously, Sabonis. I mean, they have a pretty... That's an all-star that they have there. So, this Pacers team, when you look at just the roster, you see some guys, you go, okay, they definitely could make some noise. But for me... I don't see them getting past the Wizards in that play-in game to get in to the playoffs. They have nice pieces, don't get me wrong. But that Wizards team, for me, they just have so many scores. Well, I shouldn't say so many scores. Just a really good one, and that was Bradley Beal. Then you also have Russell Westbrook, who puts up so many statistics. So I think the Pacers aren't going to get in to the postseason this year. They're going to fall short. But I do think that they have they have an exciting future. And that's the one thing about these teams in this play and tournament is their future is bright because you do now kind of get that, let's say, postseason experience without actually making the postseason. So you have these guys playing in these high pressure games, and that's gonna help this team a lot moving into next year. And also getting Levert healthy for the whole entire year, that's gonna be interesting for them as well. And now moving in to the other play-in game that already happened, the Boston Celtics defeated the Washington Wizards. 
And in this matchup, Jason Tatum was phenomenal. He's played really well down the stretch to keep the Celtics in that seventh spot and even really in the playoffs there. Do you think Jason Tatum can keep this up moving forward? I don't think so. I think he's going to go up against a team that's going to be tougher, just a better team, and they're going to be able to kind of focus on him defensively, and there isn't too many options outside of Jason Tatum on the consistent options, I should say, on this Celtics team that you can rely on. It's really kind of a one-man show there, and he has to be perfect throughout however long their playoff run is for Boston to make any noise, and I don't think he's at the level where we can expect him to be that perfect player. And I really do think the Jalen Brown injury really, really hurt the Celtics. I mean, he was really evolving into that second kind of scoring option. But also, nights when Jason Tatum kind of slowed down, Jalen Brown picked up the slack big time. So they're definitely going to miss him. And going up into a matchup against Brooklyn after they won the play-in tournament, I mean, that's just one of the worst matchups you can get. Brooklyn is one of the most stacked rosters in the NBA and when you think, oh, yeah, Jason Tatum, he can score with the best. He did it against the Wizards. He can keep on doing it. Brooklyn has three guys that could drop 45 points any given night. And they could all do it in one night. We've seen Kyrie in big performances with LeBron James. though That duo put up 40 points. We've seen Kevin Durant and Steph Curry and also Russell Westbrook put up 40 points together. That is not out of the realm of possibility for these guys. And we haven't even talked about, I think, the best shooter on the team and James Harden quite yet. So when you look at all those all those people that can score for them, going up against this Boston squad that, like you said, really has no one else behind them, it's a shame because Boston's tried so hard to get someone else for Jason Tatum. The Kyrie Irving experiment didn't work out. I wish it kind of would have, though, because Kyrie is an exciting player, just dealt with a lot of injuries there. And then also... Gordon Hayward, they let him go after his injury. He just really hasn't been the same player. And now you have, they added in Kemba Walker at the point guard position. He's really not lived up to the hype that I expected him to. All Everyone in Boston expected him to come in and just replace Kyrie Irving, like just take over that spot. And he really hasn't done it. Not to say Kyrie Irving did much in Boston whatsoever, but I, I just hasn't really lived up to that potential. And now we have a Kyrie versus Boston series here coming up. I just There's no way they make it out of that series against Brooklyn. There's just way too many scores on that team. And now, when you look at Washington, has a chance in that playing tournament. They're going to be playing the Pacers to get an opportunity to play the Phillies in the next matchup. You look at this Washington team. They have Bradley Beal. They have Russell Westbrook. They played really well together down the stretch. Bradley Beal second in scoring this year. Westbrook, you know, he's doing his triple-double thing he always does. When you look at this team and Russell Westbrook and the situation he's in, do you believe that this is a long-term home for Russell Westbrook, or is this a quick stop to his next place? It could be a long-term home. I think it definitely depends on how well they do in the playoffs and then if Bradley Beal stays. I think Westbrook is definitely going for a ring right now more than anything. He wants to, you know, win that ring, solidify his legacy, and you got to have stars and good players around you. So I think he might stay if Bradley Beal stays, but it's 
more of a short-term stop in my mind. Yeah, I really did think this was just going to blow up right away. When I saw Westbrook go to Washington, I did not think that was going to work whatsoever. But the chemistry between Bradley Beal and Russell Westbrook, it's really started to turn out really well for this Washington team. I never thought they would be a top eight seed in the East. Grant, the East is pretty weak, but never would have thought the Wizards would make a top eight seed, especially after trading off John Wall like they did. I didn't think it was possible, but they found a way to get it done. And when I look at Westbrook and Beal, they're kind of the same player in my mind. When I look at a guy who a lot of people just overlook these days, Russell Westbrook doesn't get nearly the hype he used to when he was this MVP triple-double self. Now a lot of people are like, oh, it's Russell Westbrook. I mean, we don't. it doesn't matter. And with Bradley Beal, he's been out here. He's the second leading scorer this year. He's been out here being a great consistent scorer for the Wizards, and no one's really noticed him much. When you see all these other teams picking up these stars through via trade to help their team out, Bradley Beal is still there in Washington. No one went and got him, which I thought was very surprising. So for me, when I look at this team, I do think it's going to be the long-term home for Westbrook because I think now Bradley Beal's actually kind of excited and happy. He has a guy like Russell Westbrook. And then also Westbrook now has Beal, who you look at his last couple pit stops he had with the Thunder, then you look, obviously, with Houston. The Kevin Durant thing didn't work out. That kind of soured. Then you look at the James Harden-Russell Westbrook duo. That soured very quickly. And this one hasn't yet. And they're they're already playing meaningful basketball right now. So I'm, in, I'm really, really interested to see how they do against the Pacers. Because, like, I, like you said, I do think that puts a lot of pressure on them to play well if they want to stay together. But as of right now, not seeing much frustration from them, I, I really like that uh, that duo in Washington. I think you could that's something you could build around. And Grant East is pretty weak. I mean, that duo could get you a top five seed if you get another guy with him in that spot. So now that moves us into our playoff bracket here. We're on the Eastern Conference right now. This is the final play-in game. It's the Pacers versus the Washington Wizards, who do you have coming out as the winner in that matchup to face the uh, 76ers? I have the Pacers. This is you know, a little bit of an underdog pick. I think the Wizards have the better chance, but just for some reason, I think Westbrook is going to, you know, he's normally pretty inefficient. I think uh, right now in the playoffs, he's going to be even more inefficient. He's going to be putting up a lot of bad shots and uh, holding the ball a lot more instead of moving it around, which he does kind of okay. And that's going to bring the whole team down. And I think the Pacers are going to play more of a team game, and that's going to help help them get into the quote-unquote real playoffs. Yeah, for me in this matchup, I do have the Wizards coming out on top in this one. And when I look at the play-in game between the Celtics and Wizards, it was an 18-point victory by the Celtics. But when you look at this, you had Jason Tatum score 50 points. Then you had Kemba score 29. Then there really wasn't much after that. There's no one on this Pacers team who's going to drop 50 points on the Wizards. There just isn't that type of player. So for the Wizards, it's all about, okay, we don't have to worry about someone scoring 50 points. And like you said, it will be a team game for the Pacers. I just think Bradley Beal 
is that guy who has the ability to kind of flip the script a little bit. He can be that 40-point scoring guy. It all depends on Westbrook, what he's going to do in that matchup. If we see him be kind of just pass first, kind, you know he likes to get his triple doubles, pass first, get those boards, I really do think the Wizards win this one easily against the Pacers just because Bradley Beal's scoring ability. For me, that's what changes this game right now because I don't think the Pacers have anyone to keep up with Bradley Beal if he truly gets going. And I do think it's a dangerous matchup if you are the Wizards, though. Because this Pacers team is, they're, they're getting hot right now. They're feeling good after that play-in tournament win. Huge victory at that. I just think the Wizards are able to hold on and take that and move themselves against the 76ers. And that moves us into our next matchup here. The 76ers versus the 8th seed. And your 8th seed would be the Pacers. Who do you have coming out on top in that matchup? It's the Sixers. They... They're just a better team overall. They have some decent depth. I think that's where their biggest weakness is. But overall, they have those star players that you need to win. It's just going to be a the case of when they get into those meaningful moments, when they get into that Joel Embiid or Ben Simmons needs to take the shot to win the game, are they going to be able to do that? And now... I think they're going to be okay against Indiana or Indianapolis. Uh, they're going to probably maybe go to five games if Embiid has an off day or just doesn't play well one day. But they they should take this one easily. Yeah, and for me, I have the 76ers playing the Wizards off of that play-in game. But I'm right there with you. I have the 76ers moving on in this matchup, and I have a sweep. I have the 76ers sweeping the Wizards. The No, the Sixers don't have a guy who can, well, Embiid can, but Ben Simmons is not that elite scorer. He hasn't really developed that yet, but he does everything else really well, especially his defense. If you get a matchup of Ben Simmons against Bradley Beal, that's a huge advantage for the 76ers because if Beal's not scoring, no one on the Wizards will be scoring. Russell Westbrook will try to carry the team, and we've seen how that's worked out for him in the past. So I expect that defensive matchup, Simmons and Beal going at it. And then you look at this Wizards team, who's going to stop Joel Embiid? Nobody. And when you look at this Eastern Conference playoff, that's a good question for all these teams. Who's going to stop Joel Embiid? And I think it's going to be a very quick matchup. 76ers sweep and move on to get into their next game. So the next matchup we have here, the New York Knicks, the four seed, play the fifth seed Atlanta Hawks both have a record of 41 and 31 who do you have winning this matchup I have Atlanta I just I'm not sure what it is about the Knicks that just I'm not liking I maybe it's their past history in the last 10 20 years ish that they've just not played as well as they should there's a lot of uh, pressure on New York teams. I think that might be part of it. But I, I like what Atlanta's doing. They have a really young team. And I think their defense is a little underrated. Clint Capella in the middle is just going to dominate any sort of uh, any sort of drives or bringing people into the paint. He's going to be able to take that away. And they have good scoring with Trey Young. I, I just like their depth overall. The Knicks 
are just a little too young. I think they need some more playoff experience, and then they they might be able to make some some noise. Yeah, in this one, I have the Knicks coming out on top in this one. A six-game series with the Knicks winning that one. I do think the Hawks are a sneaky team because Trey Young. And anytime you have Trey Young on the court, he's always dangerous. But I'm buying in this Knicks hype. They've played so great this season, got the four seed, and they've kind of surprised a lot of people. Tom Thibodeau's done a great job with this team. And when I look at this team from top to bottom, I agree. There are there is a need for some experience there. But I think that's why you saw the Knicks bring in Derrick Rose, bring him back, have guys like Taj Gibson, Austin Rivers on this team. They have some playoff guys, but they're not they're big guys at that. Julius Randle is by far the best player on the Knicks right now, averaging 24 points, 10 boards, 6 assists. He leads in all three categories for this team. This is his time to shine. He's going to have a chance to have home playoff games against big-time opponents in Madison Square Garden. Julius Randle's a guy that a lot of people wrote off after his time with the Lakers. After they moved on from him, a lot of people wrote him off. He's found a home here with the Knicks. And I think he's going to be able to be that guy that changes this series. Because I don't know how the Hawks match up with Julius Randle. I'm not saying Julius Randle is some Giannis-type matchup. But when you look at this Hawks team, you talked about Clint Capella. He's going to take away the down-low work. But Julius Randle's proven this year that he's got a pretty decent jump shot now. That's a part of his game. And he's too big for uh, really the rest of the roster. So for me, Julius Randle is going to be the X-Factor. But a guy I'm excited to see in the postseason. Everyone talks about John Morant. Everyone talks about Zion Williamson. I'm excited to see R.J. Barrett. I'm excited to see what he can do. He was kind of always the one at Duke that he made big times clutch shots for Duke. But everyone kind of, he was kind of the second fiddle to Zion Williamson. And no one really respected him. I truly believe as much that he should have been. So I'm excited to see what he can do in the postseason now that he can kind of be the face of the Knicks. I mean, right now it's Julius Randle, but R.J. Barrett can easily step into that role. And Tom Thibodeau, his experience in the postseason is huge for this team right now. He's going to be what sinks the Knicks or what moves them on to the next round. And I think Derrick Rose is going to keep these guys level-headed. I'm excited for this Knicks team. I think they move on, and it's just going to be fun because I'm like Stephen A. Smith. I'd like to see the Knicks move on in this matchup. So the next matchup we have here is a 3-6 seed. You have the Milwaukee Bucks at 46-26 and 26 playing the reigning Eastern Conference champions, the Miami Heat at 41-32. and 32. This is a rematch of last season's uh, playoff between the two teams. The Heat won then. Do they do it again? Yeah, I think they do win again. These teams are pretty similar to what they were last year. Uh, the only real addition of note for me is Miami added uh, Victor Oladipo, who's hurt, so doesn't really impact the series. But the biggest factor of last series was head coaching. Uh, Miami has Eric Spolstra. The Bucks have Mike Budenholzer, who, and Coach Bud just got completely outcoached. He could not adapt to what the Heat were doing on defense. They just pretty much switch every pick and roll, and they couldn't get anything going offensively. And if he doesn't adapt and doesn't 
game plan well around that switch everything defense that the Heat are going to show him, the Bucks are going to lose again. It, I think this is going to be a good series, and it's go going to go maybe six or seven games. But it's it's really on Coach Bud if he can adapt well. They can they can take this one, but I I don't think he's going to. Yeah, for me in this one, I actually have a quick revenge series for the Bucks in this one. I have them winning in five, so the Heat stealing one there. I have the Bucks winning in this one because I I agree, coaching is going to be huge in this matchup, and I'll take Coach Spo over Budenholzer every time. I will every single time. But for me, now is the time for Giannis to really step up. His postseason woes have been going on for too long. It's time for him to step up and be that dominant scorer that we see throughout the regular season. Averaged 28 points a game this year. Averaged nearly 30 last season and was shut down in the playoffs by that Miami Heat. He has to be the driving force in this game. And if he doesn't come out and play well, then yes, the Heat are going to take this series. But I think we finally see a playoff Giannis. Someone who steps up and makes the big plays for this Milwaukee team like he does throughout the whole entire regular season. And just to compare it a little bit to the NFL, it's like Lamar Jackson. You saw him in the postseason have his struggles. He finally got his first postseason win this year, and it was about time that he showed up in the playoffs. I am excited to see Giannis get his, you could call revenge in this one. This is a matchup that you know he's been thinking about for a while, wanting the heat again. And the biggest X factor for him is going to be can Bam Adebayo slow down Giannis? He did last time. Let's see what he can do in this one. Bam is a great defender. He is. I just think that Giannis is finally going to get going. And that's the thing about Giannis is he's the most unguardable player in the NBA. But sometimes you see him just start to not use his abilities. You see him start to slow down. And I don't know if it's a lack of confidence come postseason time or what. But he does start to slow down a little bit. I want to see him just go all out like we see him do throughout the year. And another big pickup by the Bucks is Drew Holiday. Adding him into the mix of the point guard position, it's not a name that's real exciting to hear, but it's another 17 points a game that they're now getting from a scorer. And it's going to be big, too, for Chris Middleton to step up in this game. And I guess that goes for the whole entire Bucks team. It's time for them to step up and play well in the postseason. I think they get a good start with here Miami. Miami's been a team that they've got hot as of late to get into the playoffs, but they've had their struggles too. So I think it's going to be a good matchup, but I do think that the Bucks grab it in five. Five or six, I think they take it, and they move on to the next round. So the next matchup we have here, already decided because Boston won, is the two-seed Brooklyn Nets, led by James Harden, Kevin Durant, and Kyrie Irving, going up against Jason Tatum and the Boston Celtics. Brooklyn's a two-seed, Boston's a seven-seed. Who wins this one? For me, it's Brooklyn, but it's closer than most people think. Just Brooklyn has so much scoring ability that they're going to be able to just completely outscore Boston. The thing is, Boston is much better depth-wise and much better defensively and on the boards, so... That's what's going to keep them in games. I think this one probably goes to six with Brooklyn taking it in the end just because of how incredible their scoring is and how easily they can put up points. 
Yeah, for me, I have Brooklyn sweeping this one, taking it in four. And I do have them sweeping this one, given the point that the, you see the big three of Brooklyn come together and play well right off the bat. Now, a six-game series could be very likely if this team doesn't get it together. And injury-wise, they played very few games together all season long. So I understand why it could be a little bit longer of a series. But if they play like they should, Brooklyn should take this series and sweep it. They absolutely should. Kyrie Irving averaging 27 points this year. Kevin Durant also right up there at 27 points this year. James Harden right there at 25. But the issue is James Harden, play, he came late. But 35 games started this year. Kevin Durant, 32 games started this year. Kyrie, 54. They've missed a lot of basketball. They've not played a lot together. That's going to be the biggest factor. And also, I think Brooklyn's going to use this series, let's say if it does go five, six games, and not the sweep that I have projected here. They're going to use this as a kind of get it straight, get it right uh, series. And that's going to be really interesting to see how it works out because all three of these guys are kind of alpha scorers. And Kyrie, yes, he's with Cleveland. He was kind of that second fiddle to LeBron James. But Kevin Durant, James Harden, everywhere they've been, they've been the guy. Ever since James Harden got to Houston. And Kevin Durant, even with OKC, he was the guy. Golden State, he was the guy. So for me, these guys have to figure out who's going to be that the guy in this series. And that's going to be what they have to get the confidence moving forward. Because when you look at that Heat team in 2011 when they lost to the Mavericks and won the biggest upsets in finals history, they did not have it decided who was going to be the guy. And you saw Bosch leading points one game. You saw Dwayne Wade. You saw LeBron James. But then you also saw LeBron James score like 11 points in one game. They have to figure that out right away. Get this chemistry figured out now. And I think it's perfect. You're playing a Boston team that's struggling. Only has one true scorer right now who's actually playing well. I think this is a perfect series. This is a tune-up series. You get things right moving in to the next round. We're going to take our first break here on Sportsmanlike Conduct. When we come back, we're going to move into the second round of the Eastern Conference postseason playoff bracket. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to Sportsmanlike Conduct on KALA HC2 in the 106.1 FM dial. I'm Logan Howell. With me, as always, is David Meyer. And when we took our first break, we just finished the first round of the Eastern Conference side of the playoff bracket. Now we're going to move into the second round. And now we have the Brooklyn Nets going up against their second-round opponent. David, who do you have there? I have Atlanta. them playing Atlanta, so I think it's Philly pretty easily. Uh, I have them taking it in five games. They're just a more solid team. I think uh, Embiid's going to have a little bit of problems with uh, going up against Clint Capella in the post, but he's going to the team as a whole is going to be able to get around that. Uh, Embiid's going to have to play well and kind of lean more on his passing than his uh, scoring. But I think just the overall team and their, as well as their defense is going to be enough to uh, take out Atlanta. Yeah, and for me, I have Philly playing the New York Knicks, and I have a sweep there. I have Philly moving on to the next round in just four games. I think they get it done so quickly because you look. You talked about Joel Embiid and just the mismatch he is. And I talked about earlier as well. Who do the Knicks have that's going to go up against them? You might try Nerlens Noel, your leading uh, rebound guy at center. 
that's not going to work out well for you. There's a reason that Joel Embiid has moved on as to one of the best centers in the league, while Nerlens Noel has really not. And then you go, you go, okay, maybe you put Julius Randle on. That's your power forward. You can hope that'll work because he's more athletic. Joel Embiid's too big. He's not get, Julius Randle's not going to be able to contain Joel Embiid in that matchup whatsoever. And then when you look at it, you're going to have then Ben Simmons also to try to guard. And I really don't like that matchup for the Knicks whatsoever. Do you try to put Derrick Rose on him? A few years ago, that might have worked out, but just not right now. Do you try R.J. Barrett on him? Maybe. That's probably your best bet is R.J. Barrett on him. But even then, Ben Simmons defensively against R.J. Barrett is not a good matchup for the Knicks whatsoever. I have the Sixers moving on very easily here in a sweep. And the next matchup in the second round would be Brooklyn. And I believe you had them playing the Miami Heat. I do have them playing the Heat. And I have them taking out the Heat pretty easily. The switch-everything defense that... Miami has is pretty solid against teams like uh, the Bucks, but when you get a team that's just stacked offensively like Brooklyn is, you're just going to have a hard time. You have good defenders and guys who can really lock up a scorer in Jimmy Butler and Bam, but they're, they're three of those scorers, and I would imagine they're going to be at least two of them on the floor during every minute of the playoffs. I don't think you have the talent to contain two top-tier scorers the entire game. You're just I think you're going to get beat and offensively I don't think Miami has the firepower to go against Brooklyn. So Brooklyn taking that one in probably 5 games. Yeah, and in this one, this matchup, I have Brooklyn against the Milwaukee Bucks, and I had Brooklyn getting out of the series against Miami pretty quickly. Now, Rust does tend to slow people down at some point, and they've not played together like I talked about. I think they get a little bit rusty here in a game against Milwaukee, the series against Milwaukee. I had this going a full seven in this matchup, and I have a full seven because when I look at this Brooklyn versus Milwaukee matchup, obviously you talk about the big three that the Nets have. No one's going to slow that down. But you have Drew Holiday, who's a very good defensive point guard. Can you slow down Kyrie Irving? The best you can. And then when you look at it, Kevin Durant, James Harden, they're going to do their thing. But Chris Middleton also is a very good defensive player. So now you have another semi-decent matchup. Now, while I'm talking about these matchups and scoring ability, I look at Giannis. I said in the last series, he gets hot. He finds his groove in the playoffs for the first time. The Nets do not have anybody that can slow down Giannis. He's he's just too fast and too big to be slowed down. And you could try putting Kevin Durant on him, but Kevin Durant's a phenomenal scorer, and he's kind of slowed down defensively a bit. He's not really that top defensive player. I don't think he really ever has been a top defensive guy. He's just been so unguardable because of his size and shooting ability. I think Giannis is really what makes this matchup. He's The, the Nets have to worry so much about him he starts finding the outlets on the outsides for those open threes. And the Bucks don't have just this total package of so many scores. But when you're getting wide open shots, because you have to focus three guys on Giannis when he's driving the lane, you're going to get those to fall. And how are you going to keep up with Brooklyn? Easy shots. Giannis is going to create easy shots um, within that defense. And that's how they're going to keep up and try to compensate for these big scores on the Nets. In the end, it's not enough. 
And these, I think these games will be close between uh, the Bucks and Brooklyn because that is scoring ability. And it's going to really put a lot of pressure on the Nets. It's going to pressure them into, okay, who's going to be that guy in the final seconds? You're going to find out in that series um, with the Bucks and Brooklyn. But I have seven. I have the Nets coming out on top because while, yes, you do have a lot uh, of ability there with Giannis, it's just simply not enough. You cannot beat this team if you don't have a couple all-stars, a couple big-time players, and some very good role players to go with it. And I think the only team that really has a good chance to beat them is the Sixers. That's where the series really gets interesting. And now moving into the Eastern Conference Finals here, I have Philly versus Brooklyn, and I believe it's the same for you as well. Yeah, I have Philly versus Brooklyn, uh, but I have, well, for me at least, I have Philly winning in this one. I think it goes seven games, but the defense of Philadelphia and the rebounding is just too good. I don't think there's a all-that-talented uh, big guy on Brooklyn's roster. It's probably... Blake Griffin, I guess, but he's he's not what he was, and even his in his prime, he was never the best defender. He's changed his skill set, but I he's not going to be able to defend Joel Embiid. Whereas Embiid can match up in on defense decently. He'll be able to uh, move around the paint and kind of step out on guys if necessary, and Ben Simmons can guard all three of Brooklyn's top guys. And on the other side, you're going to have good scoring from the Sixers with Joel Embiid just going off. So I think just Brooklyn is kind of going to... One of the wheels is going to fall off, and I think that's going to kind of have a... I can't remember the word I'm looking for, but it's going to have a cumulative effect and they're going to fall to the Sixers and or yeah, the Sixers in 7. Yeah, for me, same matchup. I have Brooklyn coming out on top in 6 games in this one. I do think it's going to be a fantastic series between these two teams. Embiid is going to be a very important part of that. He's going to have to be able to, like you said, go out, guard some people at the three-point line and also really dominate down low because you don't want to give easy buckets to those big 3 that they have there. Ben Simmons as well. He has to be huge defensively. And the one thing that I think Philadelphia can really do, if they want to keep in this uh, series with the Nets, is really start to push Brooklyn scores around a little bit. Be the more physical of the teams. I think that's going to help them out, one. And two, not let the same guy beat you. And what I mean by that is you're going to have Durant, Harden, Kyrie. They're going to score their points. But never let it be the same guy each night. Don't let a guy like Kevin Durant become a consistent 35-point scorer in your series. Can't let it happen. Because if you, if there's one that gets hot, you know they're going to dominate the series. Force it to be someone else. Use Ben Simmons as kind of a chess piece. Force Harden to make the shot on this drive. Force Kyrie. Then force Durant. That's one thing we're going to see from this team is when they're forced to pass the ball to the other guy, and let's say James Harden only has 10 points while Kyrie and KD both have 25, James Harden's more likely is going to be like, okay, this is my shot. Ben Simmons, if you can rotate him around, get him on a guy like James Harden, force tough defensive possessions. For those guys, they're going to be the ones that want the shot. I think you're really going to get in the head of this Nets team. 
And that's one thing we haven't seen hit this Nets team yet is that adversity. We've seen the injuries, but they've been fine. They've stayed afloat. They're still the two seed in the East. Nothing has really hurt them. They're one game away from being the one seed. When adversity hits and things get tough for this team, especially at the 76ers, who do match up pretty decently, I'd say probably one of the better matchups that they have in the East, What? how are they going to respond? I think they're going to come out on top, but I could definitely see the Sixers being the team that knocks them off like you having them. So I have Brooklyn representing the East in the finals. You have the 76ers representing the East in the finals. And now we're going to move to the Western Conference here. And the play-in tournament games are actually happening right now. It is the Spurs versus the Grizzlies. And currently, the Grizzlies lead 56-49 to at halftime. In this matchup, who do you think comes out on top? Right now, we're at half with a seven-point lead. Who do you think finishes this game off? I have the Memphis Grizzlies. They're just, I think, a more talented team. They have that kind of, you know, smaller market. Uh, having to go about getting wins in a non-traditional way. And they're going, they're getting wins through defense. It's tough defense and uh, inside scoring, which is kind of a departure from what the league is now, more pick and rolls and outside shooting. And I just like that against this Spurs team. It's, I think they'll be able to out-rebound them and get just out-possession them, have control of the ball a lot more, and that's going to lead to them uh, taking this one. Yeah, I have the Grizzlies coming on top as well, and one simple reason, John Morant. He's the best player on the court out of both these teams. The Spurs have a couple nice names, DeMar DeRozan and Murray as well, but it doesn't matter. John Morant is the best player on the court right now, and I expect him to come out on top in this one. He's got some veteran leadership around him. Talk about Valanciunas. He's been there, played with the Raptors, plenty of playoff experience. I think this is finally where you see John Morant kind of get in the spotlight a little bit. I feel like he's been uh, there's been a shadow over him by Zion when really it might be an unpopular opinion. I think John Morant so far has probably had the better NBA career out of the two. You see Zion dealt with a lot of injuries his rookie year and then this year also. But I don't I don't see the Pelicans in the playoffs. I see the Grizzlies in the playing tournament, and I would also argue that Zion has a lot more with him than you see with John Morant right now. It, it's not necessarily the best talent, but a guy like Lonzo, a guy like Brandon Ingram, those are pieces I'm sure John Morant would like to have on his team. Maybe not Lonzo, but those are some pieces that a good defensive point guard and then also a guy who can score 30 points a night, an all-star in Brandon Ingram. I'm sure John Morant would like that. I think John Morant is the single reason why they win this one. Because when it comes down to, right now we have a seven-point game. If it gets closer than that, and it's a close game at the end, who's going to be the one that makes the big bucket? I'll put my money on John Morant. That's the guy I think that comes out on top in this one. And now looking at the other play-in game that will happen at 9 uh, p.m. tonight. And I would say this is probably one of the most hyped matchups in all the playoffs. You finally get to see... LeBron James and the LA Lakers take on the Golden State Warriors after years of LeBron going up against Steph, Kevin Durant with some injured rosters or the years they had a couple years there where they were both pretty even. But when you look at these this matchup, Lakers seventh seed probably shouldn't be the seventh seed. Dealt with a lot of injury. The Warriors sneaking in and probably the hottest team in basketball right now. 
who do you have winning this one? I have the Warriors taking this one. I think the Lakers are a better team overall, but you know, I'm going with the hot hand. I think Steph Curry is going to just have a phenomenal performance tonight. Absolutely explode. I'm talking like 50 plus points, maybe more. And just, I think the Lakers are going to have some kinks in there, just a little slow. And Steph is just going to get the game out out of reach very quickly. And the Lakers are kind of going to coast, knowing they're playing either uh, the Grizzlies or the Spurs. And they can uh, kind of get past this. So overall, I think the Lakers are a better team. But I have the Warriors taking this one. Yeah, in this matchup, I do have the Lakers winning this one. And I think Steph Curry is going to have a fantastic night. I do believe that as well. He's just unguardable at this point. It takes nearly two or three guys. You can't leave him. You can't be a defender and sit at the three-point line and wait for him. He's going to pull it up from the logo, and he's going to make it. He's that consistent from the three-point line. And I think the Lakers win this one. When you look at their past matchups in the regular season here, 115-113, Warriors win. And that's when both LeBron and AD both played. Two-point victory for the Warriors. And then we see some later matchups, February 28th, March 15th. Some more recent games, but not all too recent. You see the Lakers play with just LeBron without AD in both these matchups. 117 to 91, Lakers win, and 128 to 97, Lakers win. And this is a lot different of a Warriors team. Don't get me wrong. This Warriors team is very hot now. At that point, it really didn't look all that great for the Warriors. But this Lakers team, when you look at the matchups, I think that's where they start to win this game. The Warriors need a lot to go right for this upset to happen. You need Steph Curry to be fantastic. And you also need Draymond Green to be a top-tier facilitator. And he is most nights, but he does have some down nights where he's starting to turn the ball over, and that would sink the Warriors if he's starting to turn the ball over quite a bit. And then I look at it, this Warriors team, Anthony Davis, I know he's dealt with injury, but Anthony Davis is still a bad man. He's still very good. And he's hard to cover because he does have the three-point ability. He's going to take out the Warriors big man to the three-point line. He also has the low post moves. And then we're also talking about LeBron James. And LeBron James, one of the best players in basketball still to this day, he he's a guy that's on social media quite a bit. Once they go to the playoffs, he kind of goes on his – he puts social media away and he stays off for the playoffs. But LeBron James, he knows that people are counting him out in this game, counting the Lakers out. And there's a lot of predictions that the Lakers do win. But in the playoffs in general, a lot of people are starting to write the Lakers off. And this Lakers team, if they've proven one thing to me, it's that they don't care about the regular season. That does not matter to them whatsoever. They'll go in as the seventh seed. They'll go in as the one seed. They know Anthony Davis and LeBron James is a tough matchup for anybody. So for me, I have them taking this win. But just talk about this game just a little bit more. You look at this rivalry between LeBron James and Steph Curry. Obviously the four straight finals with Curry winning, LeBron winning, then Curry getting Kevin Durant and winning the next two, including one of them being a sweep. Is this the best kind of rivalry in basketball right now in terms of player versus player? I think right now it is. The only thing that would make it better is more contention with the players. I think 
uh, LeBron and Curry, I think they like each other. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. There's there isn't any real bad blood. I think that's the one thing that could really kind of take it up a notch. But it just the history of those four straight finals appearances. Uh, just a lot of postseason history with two of the game's best players. It's it's tailor made for a rivalry. It yeah, it's it's definitely the best one in the game. Yeah, I agree with you, and I also agree on the point. This isn't a LeBron James versus the Spurs or LeBron James versus the Celtics type rivalry against Ray Allen, Kevin Garnett, and Paul Pierce. That's not that type of rivalry whatsoever. But these are two guys that have really gone at it, and it's a rivalry because when they meet each other, it's at the biggest stage. It's postseason, when the games matter, the NBA Finals, the biggest games of the year. That's when these two meet up, and also in recent history, in the last five years, when you think of the biggest playoff moments, it's been from their finals going up against each other. When you think about the first finals, Steph Curry goes off in a few of those games. Then also you move to the next finals where LeBron James is down 3-1 and the Cavs are down 3-1. Kyrie and him combined for 40, win game six. Then game seven, you see him make the block on Andre Godala. I mean, that's a play that's going to go down in NBA history forever. And then you go into the next finals, you see the Warriors add Kevin Durant and his, his three-point shot when he just jogs right down the court and pulls it up. And he snipes that three. You think of these big moments... It's a lot of their series. And yes, the Raptors did have a good one as well. But in terms of just best rivalry right now, it has to be them. Because they have so many big moments so recently that it's going to make this game a really good one. And I'm very excited to see this one. For me, personally, I think it's my favorite. Well, it is my favorite of all these play-in games. And I personally, I think this might be my favorite matchup until we hit um, probably I'd say the conference finals, if not the second round, because these two teams, you got the hottest team in basketball against one of the best. I think that's just a really fun matchup. We're going to take our next break here on Sportsmanlike Conduct. When we come back, we're going to continue our Western Conference playoff bracket. We will get into round one. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to Unsportsmanlike Conduct on KALA HD2 in the 106.1 FM dial. I'm Logan Howe. With me, as always, is David Meyer. And now we're going to move into our last play-in game here. I have the Grizzlies versus the Warriors. David has the Grizzlies versus the Lakers. David, who do you have moving on in that one to represent the eighth seed? Uh, it's the Lakers pretty pretty easily. Anytime you have the best player on the floor, you're going to have a decent chance to win. The Lakers have the two best players on the floor and a really good supporting cast around them. So it's, it's the Lakers... Uh, one game series they take it out pretty easily yeah and in mine I have the Warriors winning as well moving on to the 8th seed to play the Jazz and I talked about Morant being the best player on the court and that's why they're going to beat the Spurs that's no longer the case Steph Curry phenomenal scorer and while I do like John Morant's scoring ability I don't like it nearly as much as I like Steph Curry's so I think the Warriors continue their hot streak after losing to the Lakers a very good team continue their hot streak, beat the Grizzlies, and go on to take the Utah Jazz. And that's where we're going to start with round one of the Western Conference playoffs. I had the Utah Jazz playing the Golden State Warriors. David has the Utah Jazz playing the Los Angeles Lakers. How do you have this series turning out? I have the Utah Jazz taking this one. 
I I just can't see any team really being able to put up a good enough fight against how solid all around talented the Jazz are. They have one of the best offensive teams, one of the best defensive teams, and they're a very deep. They have a deep bench. They can go to multiple scorers to win games and what they're going to have to do the Lakers have to do to win is probably put Anthony Davis at center because you don't really have a guy who can play there in the playoffs if you put uh, Montrez Harrell out there he's just going to get destroyed defensively like he did last year in the playoffs and I can't think of a guy, anyone else on that team who is going to be a consistent center other than Aiden Davis, and he's not going to be able to score as well if he's at that center position. So I have the Jazz taking this one. It's going to be a tough series. I have him going to six games, but in the end, the Jazz take it. Yeah, I have the Jazz moving on as well. I had them playing the Warriors, and I have a five-game series for the Jazz. They take care of the Warriors very quickly. This Warriors team all year long has just been on the shoulders of Steph Curry. And while I believe in Steph Curry, and he's the best scorer, best shooter, excuse me, to ever play in NBA history, it's just not enough to beat this Jazz team. David, you went over it. All the things the Jazz do well, that's... That, that's going to translate well against this Warriors team that really doesn't play the best defense. They have Draymond, who's a decent facilitator. It's really just Steph Curry. That's it. And when you look at the matchup, Donovan Mitchell versus Steph Curry, that's a very interesting one because a lot of people don't remember because they did go on to lose the series, but Donovan Mitchell had a fantastic playoffs last year in the bubble. He was fantastic. I think that continues here. I think we see Donovan Mitchell finally start to... I, I've always liked Donovan Mitchell a lot, but he's never been a guy that's ascended into that top 10 category. This is the time. A very good postseason, it puts you into that top 10 player category. And I think it's about time we welcome Donovan Mitchell into it because he's a fantastic player, and his scoring ability is one of the best in the league, and it never, ever gets mentioned. So now we're going to move up to our next matchup in round one of the Western Conference playoffs here. It's the four-seeded Los Angeles Clippers at 47-25 and 25 going up against the five-seed Dallas Mavericks at 42-30. and 30. David, who do you have coming out of this matchup? I have the Mavericks, and I think this one's actually going to be uh, over relatively quickly. I have the Mavs winning this one in five games. It's some just something about the Clippers, just that locker room or the overall mentality they have. Just the chemistry there, I just can't get behind it. I something is off there and it got really exposed last year in the playoffs. They played very poorly and they were pretty close last year. Uh, to losing versus the Mavericks, they didn't they go to seven games. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, they went to seven, barely lost with uh, Luca and Porzingis injured. So if both of those guys stay healthy, I think they should be able to take this one easily. Yeah, in this matchup, 
I have the Clippers coming out on top in this one, but I do think it's a very tough matchup up that. I have a seven-game series once again. I have the Clippers coming out on top in this one. The Clippers have had postseason struggles, especially last year, ever since they brought in this duo of Paul George, Kawhi Leonard. They were expected to be the top team in the West right away, and they really have never really taken that role. We've seen a lot of load management out of the Clippers. It's an interesting coaching strategy by Ty Lue, but it's something Kawhi Leonard has done most of his career, so it's really nothing new. But now we finally get to see these guys together, and Paul George, I, I'd like to say this is the playoffs. We see him step up and be the guy, but I'm, I can't. I really can't say that. But I do think Kawhi Leonard and his ability is able to take the Mavericks the distance. And the interesting thing about the Clippers is, and the one thing that doesn't get talked about much anymore is Kawhi Leonard's defensive ability. He really is fantastic defensively, so the matchup between Kawhi and Luka is going to be very interesting to watch. And I think also when you look at it, defensively, Kawhi wins. I'd say offensively, Luka wins. But when you look at the comparative of the two, both offensive and defensively, I would, I would give the edge to Kawhi because I think he's a better defender and the gap between the defense of Kawhi and Luka and the scoring of Luka and uh, Kawhi is a lot smaller. I think Kawhi is almost as good of a scorer as Luka. And the da Dallas has had their struggles this year, but so have the Clippers. So I think this is going to be a hard-fought matchup. But the Clippers come out on top and move on to the next round. I mean, I don't have them making it much farther than that. But they do move on the next round and they take out the Dallas Mavericks early next matchup we have here is the third seed Denver Nuggets 47 and 25 going up against the sixth seed the Portland Trailblazers at 42 and 30 who's moving on out of this one for me it's Denver uh in four I have them just sweeping Portland uh Portland to me is kind of a one-trick pony it's Damian Lillard and that's it Lillard is incredibly talented and a great scorer, but there's not too much depth around him, and there isn't all that much rebounding either. So I think Jokic is just going to bully that team as a whole and take over that series and take them to the next round easily. So it's Denver advancing. Yeah, for me, I also have Denver advancing in this one. I have a little bit more of a challenging series. I have six games for this series. I have six games because if Jamal Murray was playing and wasn't injured with the torn ACL, absolutely, this is a sweep. This is done very quickly. And if Jamal Murray doesn't tear his ACL, I think there's a good argument to say that Denver's possibly the two, if not the one. They were playing great basketball until that injury, and they still are playing good basketball. But when I look at this, you talk about Jokic, you talk about Damian Lillard, that's kind of the two big names. They won't be going up against each other matchup-wise, but those are the two scores for each side right now. And Jokic at one time was considered MVP candidate, still a guy that's up there around that category of MVP. Damian Lillard is it's tough. I think he's one of the more underrated players, but he also gets quite a bit of attention, but not as much as he deserves with for truly how fantastic that he is. I think his scoring abilities is enough to keep them around in the series. We saw when they were going up against the Warriors when they had Durant, Curry. Damian Lillard put up a big fight. He tried his hardest, and that's what we're going to see in this series. And I think that's why they steal a couple games that they shouldn't just because Damian Lillard. He's had some of the best playoff performances that I've ever seen. Some of the biggest shots I've ever seen hit. 
were by Damian Lillard. So he has that gene that when the playoffs get going, that he's just next level, that he picks up his game, and that's going to be huge for this team. C.J. McCollum was hurt last year in the playoffs. He's not hurt anymore. He's going to be around to help out. Big man-wise, no, there isn't much there. But I think that duo can win, can sneak a couple wins here against this Nuggets team. But the Nuggets do come out on top in this one. And our next matchup here is the Suns. I believe you have them playing the Warriors in this one. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, I have the Suns taking this one. I was a big fan of the Suns coming into the season. I didn't think they would be anywhere near as good as they are this season. They've been just amazing defensively and offensively. Mainly on the defense, they've been great. Chris Paul is doing Chris Paul things. He's going to probably get even better in the playoffs. They have a really just a great core around Devin Booker. DeAndre Ayton has stepped up his game defensively. And I think they're going to take this one against uh, the Warriors relatively easily. I have this going either five or six games. Uh, The Warriors are going to steal one or two just with Curry. He's going to go off at some point. It's just getting around those games and playing well and containing Curry. And the Suns should be okay. Yeah, in this one, I have the Lakers coming into this matchup against the Suns after I have them winning tonight. That's what puts them into this matchup for me. I have the Lakers winning this series in six. I have them taking out the Suns, and like you said, the Suns are fantastic. Coach of the year and Monty Williams. Chris Paul, he's the point god for a reason. Devin Booker's got a lot more consistent and a lot more efficient at that. So they're a tough team, and that's why they're the two seed. But the Lakers also are a very tough team, and if they stay healthy, are probably the two or three seed in the Western Conference. That's how good of a team that they are. And when I look at this matchup, I look at the depth of both teams. I think the Lakers actually have some pretty decent depth compared to these other teams that have multiple stars. And the Sixers, they're not necessarily top-heavy, but they do. It's a lot of their big-time scoring comes from the top of their roster. So for me, I have the Lakers taking this one in six. I think it's going to be a nice, not tune-up game, but they're going to get their feet wet very early going up against the Warriors. And they're going to get into this series against the Suns ready to compete and ready to play. And if you're the Lakers, and my scenario had them going up against the Suns, that's the best matchup for you. Best side of the bracket as well for you. You don't want to play the Jazz first round. It's a very, very tough first round matchup. And the Suns are too. But I I think the Jazz, when you look at their team in general, is a better team than the Suns. It's a bigger gap than just the one game that we see record-wise between the two. So I had the Lakers coming out in six. Anthony Davis and LeBron just are too much to stop. And Monty Williams, he's going to have to prove that he's the coach of the year for the reason if he wants to win that series because you're going to need a good defensive game plan in that one. Now we're going to move on to the second round of the Western Conference playoffs. And now the Jazz, I do believe you have the Jazz moving on. Who do you have them facing in the second round? It's the Jazz versus the Mavericks. Again, I have the Jazz winning. I think it's going to be a little closer of a series, probably five or six games. But, you know, the Jazz are the number one seed for a reason. They're the top team in uh, point differential per game by almost three points a game. Yeah, over three points a game. They're the top rebounding team, and they're very solid defensively. I think 
just they have the star players to beat Dallas and they have the depth to beat the Dallas. I think uh, a big game from Luka and Kristaps can maybe push it to five, but this one should be uh, Utah all the way. Yeah, for me, I have the Jazz versus the Lakers in this one. And it's a tough game. It's a tough series if you're the Lakers. And I have the Lakers coming out on top in seven games in this one. And I have them coming out in seven in this matchup because when you look at what the Lakers like to do, you have LeBron, Anthony Davis. They're kind of the guys scoring-wise. Then you have now Andre Drummond in the fold who he's played pretty well for them so far. And he's kind of helped carry a little bit of the roster. It's going to be on the shoulders of guys like Dennis Schroeder, Taylor Horton Tucker, Alex Caruso, Mo Harrell, Mar- uh, Marcus Saul, Kyle Kuzma. Those are the big-time players that have to step up if you want to beat the Jazz. Because that's how the Jazz beat you. They have Mitchell and Gobert who can match up well with anybody. You have an elite point guard and a very good to elite center at that. They match up well with anyone, but it's their depth that really makes them the team that they are and why they are kind of the class of the West right now. The Lakers needs, need their depth to show up in a big way. If it's LeBron and Anthony Davis combining for 40 points a game apiece, that's not going to win this series. But I think you're going to see the depth show up. You're going to see Schroeder step up in a big way. Drummond's going to be consistent as well. And it's really going to be on the shoulders of them. And Frank Vogel as well to get the right guys in at the right time. That's one thing I think that they've struggled with quite a bit. And you can put a little bit of that on Frank Vogel is getting these guys in the right spots. Just really getting them going in games instead of just tossing them out there and not really getting a flow for them. A guy like Kyle Kuzma, who has potential, but really has not lived up to it since Frank Vogel's taken over. So for me, this one's on Frank Vogel. I think the Lakers' depth picks up and they're able to beat the Jazz in the second round matchup. Now, who do you have for your second second round matchup at the Western Conference? For me, it's Denver versus the Suns. I think this is, other than uh, Lakers Warriors, I think this is going to be one of the better matchups. Just the, I think, other than Rudy Gobert, uh, DeAndre Ayton is probably one of the only guys who will be able to match up against Jokic in the post. That being said, there isn't a lot that can stop Nikola Jokic right now, and I don't think he'll be able to be stopped going forward, but the Suns' depth and defense, if they can just kind of push Jokic to the side and say, all right, you're just going to score like 30 points a game, we're going to shut down everyone else, that's how they're going to win. And I think they can do that. Uh, Devin Booker is going to probably put on a clinic scoring-wise. And there isn't someone on the Nuggets that I really trust to be that big-name defender. So I have the Suns winning this one, although it probably goes six or seven games. Yeah, for mine, I have the Nuggets going up against the Clippers in this matchup. And for me, I have the Clippers coming out on top in this one in five. Five games against the Nuggets. Last postseason, the Clippers were up 3-1 on the Nuggets, a very hot Nuggets team, with Jamal Murray playing fantastic as well. They blew that lead, but now it's another revenge in the second round, another revenge game series in that second round. I have the Clippers winning this series because you look at Jokic, 
Yes, you know what you're going to get from Jokic night in and night out. But I look at this Clippers team, and I think postseason-wise, they got a lot better in terms of the players they put around this team. You have Kawhi Leonard, who always shows up in the playoffs. There's only one game I can think of, and it was Game 7 against the Nuggets last year. that He did not show up in the postseason. He's a fantastic playoff performer. Paul George, so up in the air, like I talked about earlier. But the key in this matchup, and he was a key piece of the Lakers' playoff run last year, Rajon Rondo. He's a guy that can really help set up this offense. He has to facilitate to Paul George and get him in a flow and get him going early in this series. Because if Paul George comes out and starts to struggle right away, this team will sink. They will. But Rajon Rondo, I believe, has the ability to get Paul George going early. And then you have to rely on veterans like Ibaka, more, uh, Marcus Morris, Zubak. You need guys like that to step up. And also this team added DeMarcus Cousins. So they have some decent depth there. I had them coming out of this series with five, in five games. And that moves us to the Western Conference Finals. And for me, I finally have what everyone's hyped up for two years now. The Lakers going up against the Clippers, the Battle of L.A., David, who do you have in your Western Conference final? I have Utah versus the Suns, and that's just an altogether great matchup. There's really just a lot of interesting matchups you can kind of go through. How is Chris Chris Paul going to guard uh, Donovan Mitchell? How is Gobert going to guard DeAndre Ayton? And vice versa. And I think that's really... That's you can debate that uh, till you're red in the face. You can debate that all day long, and I think both sides have merit. But once you get past that, I think Utah just has better depth. Once you kind of pull back past the stars, Utah just has that that extra little edge that's gonna push push them past the uh, past Phoenix. And get them to the uh, to the finals. Yeah, and like I said, for my Western Conference final, I had the Clippers. I had the Lakers going at it. We finally see this star-studded matchup that a lot of people have been wanting, the Battle of L.A. And I have the Lakers coming out on top in this series. When I look at the stars on both sides, you look at Kawhi, Paul George, LeBron, Anthony Davis. I think LeBron and A.D. are the best two players on the court at this time given that they're healthy, that they stay healthy through this playoffs. That could be a big wild card for this Lakers team, but with my bracket, I have them assuming that they stay healthy. I think both of them are better than Kawhi, and both of them are better than Paul George. Now, Kawhi Leonard is very close. He's a fantastic player, but he is very close to them in that matchup. But it's really Paul George. You see LeBron and Anthony Davis, once they hit the postseason, they're pretty consistent. There was some times last year with Anthony Davis, he kind of fell off a little bit. But I think you're going to see a more consistent Anthony Davis come this postseason. You're going to see a guy who now has a deep playoff experience run. A deep run, so a lot of experience in the playoffs. That's a guy who hadn't got out of the second round. for That was the first time was last year. So now he has plenty of experience in the playoffs. The Lakers sure are missing Rajon Rondo, though. He was a great veteran guy that now the Clippers have. I talked about a little bit earlier. But outside of the Stars... Who's going to step up and be that number three guy? When I look at this Clippers team, I'm not sure. It could be different people on any given night. But when I look at this Lakers team, Andre Drummond is kind of the clear-cut number three. And when you look at it in terms of talent on the court, 
I think Drummond is the next up. When you take Kawhi, Paul George, and you take away LeBron Anthony Davis, next most talented guy on the court is Andre Drummond. And he's played well at times this year, but he's also struggled a bit. If they can find consistency with Andre Drummond, that can be what turns this series for them. You're talking about LeBron, Anthony Davis, and Drummond down low, AD and Drummond down low, going up against this Clippers team with LeBron and Kawhi going at it. That's a matchup that the Lakers have to like. They have to like their three over the Lake, uh, the Clippers three in that matchup. So for me, I have the Lakers moving on to the finals. Six-game series, but they do move on to the finals. And now that moves us to the NBA finals. I have the LA the LA Lakers, excuse me, taking on the Brooklyn Nets. Kind of the dream scenario you could say for basketball fans coming into the year. David, who do you have in yours? Uh Yeah, uh I really like your scenario, but it turns out I'm kind of lame and went with both one seeds. <laughs> uh I have Utah going against Philly and I think just how dominant the West is over the East, it's pretty clear that the Jazz are just better. I think they're a more rounded team. Philly doesn't have a whole ton of depth to them. And the biggest matchup here is Rudy Gobert against Joel Embiid. And I think Joel Embiid just implodes. He he has one bad game and then kind of gets in his head and he can't can't get it done anymore. And there isn't really that second star player you have Ben Simmons, but he he really won't take a jump shot. So he's very limited on offense. And without Embiid, you can't you can't go. The car doesn't drive without Embiid. So it's Utah in six. I have uh, the Sixers taking probably game two and three, and then the Jazz coming back to win it in six. Yeah, in that matchup between uh, you have the Sixers going up against the Jazz, I also think the Jazz take that one. And I do think it'll be a decent series, but the Jazz clearly, like you said, are the better team. And at the end of the day, it comes down to scoring-wise, Donovan Mitchell really can shine in that matchup. He has an opportunity on the biggest stage to go up against one of the best defenders in the league at Ben Simmons. He has an opportunity to shine, which I would love for Donovan Mitchell because, like I said earlier, I think he's way, way underrated. And he's going to finally prove himself to be one of those top players. Now looking at my finals matchup here, I have the Lakers against the Nets. It's the matchup everyone wants. And who doesn't love seven games in the NBA Finals? I have this game, this series going to seven. When you look at it, you have LeBron, you have AD. Is that enough to take down Kyrie, Harden, and Kevin Durant? I, I think it is. I think it's just enough that the, Clippers, uh, the, the Lakers, why do I keep saying the Clippers? The Lakers come out on top in this matchup, when you look at it, the chemistry is what's going to get the Lakers past the Nets in this one. The Lakers have been there, done that. They played in the bubble, and a lot of people like to discredit the Lakers' championship because they played in the bubble. I think it's harder, almost harder, the situation they had to be in. And players were ready to leave the bubble right away just to find the motivation every day to come out and know that, okay, maybe if we drop this game, I'm done. I can go home. You know, I still make millions of dollars. That obviously something that a few of them probably thought about in their stay there, especially some of the guys who didn't play as much. When you look at it though, this Lakers team found a way to stay motivated the whole entire time and beat a very good heat team, a very hot heat team at the time. That's one thing I've noticed about this Lakers team is no matter the matchup, 
no matter how hot the team is or what stars they have, the Lakers find a way to come out on top. They did it throughout last postseason. I think they do it again this year. And at the end of the day, you look at this Brooklyn team, I think they have kind of a finals that we saw with, I keep comparing them to the 2011 Heat, but that's just what I expect to see out of them. I expect you see chemistry issues, them not have a true score and not have everything to get together yet. And also, when you, in terms of pressure to win a championship, LeBron now at 37, 38 years old, dealing with a lot of injuries. If he wants to catch Michael Jordan, he has to win one this year. It's got to be this year. That would be his fifth championship. Needs one more. And he has probably, a, let's say, maybe a four, maybe a four-year window there to get one more. It's going to get real tough if he doesn't pull out a championship this year. And he knows that. The pressure's on. And LeBron James, when the pressure's on, tends to step up and play really well. So I'd like to bet on LeBron this one. They take the Nets out in seven. And so now, that's both of our NBA championships, how we have them ending up. Looking back at this regular season, if you had to give out the MVP award, it has not been given out yet, but it's not a playoff award, it's a regular season award, who is the MVP in your eyes? I think there are two possibilities. Either Steph Curry or Nikola Jokic. I'm going to go with Jokic because he's the better all-around player. He... I think he adds the most value to his team. He's not just a scorer. He's a fantastic scorer. But he's also a 10 rebounds a game guy. He's given out 8 assists. And he's a top tier defender as well. Not, I'd say high tier defender. Not top tier. But he's just all around good. And I think the only reason he'd not take home this MVP is just some recency bias with how hot Steph Curry has been coming into the playoffs. Yeah, for me, I have Curry winning the MVP in this one. I have that because um, the recency bias is obviously um, a factor in this. But I also think you have to look at it in terms of what he had to do to get his team in this position to be here and get them into the spot, into the playing tournament, an opportunity to make the postseason. The Warriors, about halfway through this year, a lot of people were calling them out. They were done. It was over. This run of Golden State was finished. They weren't going to be successful anymore. Steph Curry didn't have a second scoring option. I mean, he had guys like Kelly Oubre, Andrew Wiggins stepping up. Nothing real consistent there. And then Steph Curry said, okay, I'm going to take over. I'm ready to do this. In the month of April, averaged 37 points, started getting wins, win after win after win for this Warriors team. And a lot of people said during those championship runs that, oh, he couldn't do it by himself. He needs Clay. He needs Kevin Durant. He proved this year that he can be the guy. Averaging 32 points, 5-5 five and five in terms of rebounds and assists, while shooting 48% from the field, 42% from three. When I look at Steph Curry and what he was able to do this year, he's my MVP. And just in terms of when you look at Jokic and what he did, yes, he does bring the more value in terms of all-around player. But in terms of who do you want on your team in the biggest moments, who do you want to, if you need to get into the postseason with just kind of one guy, I, I'll never doubt Steph Curry. And he's proven it time and time again what type of player he is. 
in terms of just most valuable player, if you took Curry off this Warriors team, they are sunk. They are very bad. And the Nuggets, they're also, they take a step back, but I still think they are a top eight seed in terms of what they had there. Jamal Murray injury also hurt them a little bit as well. But for me, Steph Curry, I think he gets the MVP award and it's just another addition to his already great Hall of Fame career that he has going for him. We're going to take our last break here on Sportsmanlike Conduct. When we come back, we're going to get into some MLB, some new faces in new places, as well as a possible uh, player and manager. Not on great terms. We'll find out. Stay tuned. Welcome back into Unsportsmanlike Conduct on KALA HC2 in the 106.1 FM dial. I'm Logan Howell. With me, as always, is David Meyer. And we just got done with our NBA playoff predictions. We went through the whole entire playoff bracket. Now we're going to move into the MLB and some exciting news going on there. Albert Pujols signs with the Los Angeles Dodgers. David, is this a move that surprised you when he signed with the Dodgers? Yeah, it, it definitely surprised me. I... In my mind, he was going to St. Louis and his career where it started. That's, I think that's what a lot of people assumed. But I actually like the fit with the Dodgers. They have a knack for taking guys who are kind of on the end of the career, their career and squeezing the last bit of talent out of them. And I think they could do that. He hasn't been fantastic so far, but... He hasn't played that many games, so I think he still has a chance to have a pretty solid season. Yeah, for me, I, it was surprising, but when I sat down and really thought about it, I go, you know, it made sense. When I Also, I thought the Cardinals, I thought that was just, I mean, the place that everyone, like you said, assumed. But when I look at it, a guy, very he's getting a lot older, already has a couple championships. I mean, every player would like more, wouldn't they? So why not go to, when you look at it, I mean, yeah, I know they're struggling a little bit now. They're not where they should be. I believe they might be third in the NL West currently, second or third in the NL West right now. Why not go to a team that you know has the star power come playoff time that's going to be a real tough team to beat in a seven-game series? That's what he did. He was going to a team that is going to be playing for the championship and the World Series. I think it's a good move by him. I mean, you're really setting yourself up to be successful. The Cardinals, are they as likely as the Dodgers to win the World Series? I'd say no. I mean, I know right now the Cardinals are doing pretty decent as well, but, I mean, the Dodgers just are so good. Why not give yourself the best opportunity to go win a ring? Now, looking at his fit in the Dodgers, you talked about he hasn't really done a whole lot yet. Do you expect him to be a key contributor throughout maybe the postseason or also the rest of the way here? Not really. He's probably going to be a like DH kind of guy. Someone who comes in to pinch hit for uh, a pitcher if it, they're playing in the NL rules. It, a double switch guy late in games. Or someone who pinch hits and then comes right out. He's, not, he's probably not going to have a, an everyday role. Just he's he's not that guy anymore. He's forty one. He is the slowest player in Major League Baseball. That's not hyperbole. That's backed with statistical statistic evidence. And also another stat: he is the career leader all time 
in grounding into double plays. Not an active all time throughout major league stat history. Yeah, I don't think he's going to do a whole lot either. And when you look, you talked about what he can do there. I think his best case scenario would be possibly like what we've seen out of a guy like Pablo Sandoval this year. And talk about two very slow players at that. When you look at it, just a guy who's come comes in, and Pablo Sandoval has, I believe, four, five home runs this season. He's been a very good pinch hitter for them. If Pujols can give the Dodgers that, then that absolutely is a big pickup for this Dodgers team. Will he? I'm not sure. But in a big moment, especially come playoff time, and a team that kind of needs to flip the switch a little bit, adding a guy like him doesn't hurt you one bit. So I know he wanted to, he said that he wanted to still be an everyday type of guy. And it's not going to be the case. I don't think anyone would have gave him that, even if he did decide to go somewhere a little with a lot less talent. I still don't think he gets that opportunity. And now looking at Pujols here with the Dodgers, do you expect him to keep playing after this season? Or is he going to just go back to the Cardinals and retire on a short one-day contract? I can't imagine him playing anywhere past this season. He's just not there physically. He's had a lot of surgeries on his knees, legs, lower body. I don't think he can keep, I don't think he'll be able to keep competing at a major league level. I don't think he is at this during the season, but I don't think he will he, he's going to be even worse next season. So I don't think he signs anywhere. He might get some workouts if, or some tryouts if he wants them, but I can see him just retiring as a Cardinal. Yeah, the move of the Angels letting him go at this point in the season I thought was pretty surprising. Now the only thing I find more surprising in this situation is if he does come back for another season. He hasn't officially said this will be his last year, but when you look at it, you said his play is declining. And it really is. He's just a guy that's not the same. But it is difficult for players who've had so much success in the major leagues and in every sport to just step away from the game. But I think at this point, Albert Pujols realizes that's what's happening here. And he is going to step away from the game. Could you could be affected by if he wins a championship or not? Absolutely. If he wins a ring, I really don't see any reason why he should come back at this point. So I think for me, ring or not, he's going to retire. And like I said, with the Cardinals, that will be. Now we're going to move on to the Yankees here. Garrett Cole set the MLB record with 61 strikeouts since his last walk. A phenomenal statistic to have there for Garrett Cole. Looking at what he's done this season, is he still like that best, best pitcher in the league? I can't find a pitcher better than him. He uh, sub one whip. A an ERA just above two, uh, at two point zero three, and if you want to get into some more advanced statistics, in I think it's around fifty six innings, he's has the eleventh lowest um, expected woba, which is a c- kind of confusing way to say he's not giving up hits. And he's not giving up walks. He's just pitching phenomenally. There isn't another starter other than uh, Corbin Burns, who I think is overperforming just a little bit, that is better than Garrett Cole right now. He's pitching deep into games. 
He's striking guys out. He's uh, not giving up home runs. He's not giving up walks. He's just overall fantastic. And as well, he's uh, forcing soft contact. There isn't a lot of hard hit balls. Yeah, I agree. I, he's the best pitcher in the league. And when you see an MLB record like that, you you have to think, okay, yeah, this is the guy to beat. And if you're the Yankees, how excited are you that you finally start to get really, you start to have a little bit better health than you've had before. But also, when you look at Garrett Cole in terms of the contract they gave him, this is the best baseball I think he's played for the Yankees. I mean, setting MLB records at that. He's by far, in my opinion, the best pitcher in the league just because of that consistent nature of him. Even with the Astros, he was very good, especially in their World Series that they had. He's continuing that now. It's just the consistency for me is what makes me give it such an easy decision to say he is the best because I do I do love his game, and he is fantastic at what he does. And now looking at the start that he got to with the 61 strikeouts without, uh, since his last walk, is that something that he can sustain throughout the year? And obviously that has since come to an end. But is that something he can sustain, just his this high level of pitching? At the level he's at now, uh, 61 strikeouts to one walk, no. It, that's, it's just, I don't think that's possible in today's MLB. It, I'd be happy if he proved me wrong, but... He's still going to be probably the best pitcher in baseball continuing forward into the season. I think he's going to regress to the mean a little bit. Probably going to end with a whip around uh, 0.9 and then 0.09 more accurately. No, 0.9. I'm getting my stats all messed up. And then an ERA around probably low 2, 2.2 ERA. But that's Cy Young level stats. He's he's going to be a great pitcher going forward. Yeah, the only reason I say that he can't is because, like you said, it is such a high level that he's already at. He's at MLB record standards right now, and that's just something you can't expect him to keep throughout this the rest of the way here. But I do expect him to still play at a very very high level because, like I said, he's very consistent at that. And when you look at this Yankees team, they're going to need that out of him. They're going to need him to be this successful the rest of the way. And so putting that pressure on a guy like Garrett Cole, I think that's I think that's a good idea because it's kind of shown when the pressure's on, Garrett Cole does kind of step up to the plate. And he is that guy that's going to step up for your team. So I think he's it's not going to be as high as this, but it's still going to be good because without it, the Yankees are going to start to would start to plummet a little bit more. And now looking at this Yankees team, Garrett Cole pitching phenomenal, Rolls Chapman as well pitching very well for them. Do the Yankees have the power right now to represent the AL in the World Series? They have the power. They have the potential. I think if guys perform to where they should be, if the Aaron Judges, the John Carlos Stantons, the DJ LeMahieu's are performing at where they should, and they're healthy, that is a big if in capital letters, bolded, italicized, underlined. They have to be healthy. If they are, they can definitely win. This team has the talent to make a World Series and win a World Series. There are some question marks behind Cole for 
uh, that back end of the rotation. But I think in the playoffs, they'll step up and they could definitely make the World Series. Yeah, I think they have the power too, but I don't expect them to represent the AL in the World Series. There's some teams that got to some really hot starts and some teams that I think when you look at talent-wise, they may not be on the same level as the Yankees, but when you look at this Yankees team, I've been one that I've kind of got on the hype train the last couple of years because you see all this talent and it's hard not to. You expect them to be a team like the Dodgers with all these type of weapons they have. And obviously the Dodgers may be a bad comparison there because they do have so much. But they do. the Yankees have a, quite a bit of talent as well. I just think there's some really good teams out there that I could see more realistically representing, possibly like the A's. Astros also playing pretty well this year. And one team that I always get excited about, and I was last year as well, is the White Sox. I, they're a team that I get real excited about. Been, they're 7-3 and three in their last 10. They currently sit at 26-16. and 16. They're a team that also I could see representing the AL in the World Series if they get, uh, get hot and they also keep what they have going. For me right now, could I see it? Yes, but it's going to be too tough for the Yankees. They deal with too many injuries, inconsistent play at times from their big stars. So for me, I'm going to say they do, but I don't realistically see the opportunity happening this year. And now, speaking of the White Sox, we move into Jeremy Mercedes. He broke the unwritten rule that you don't hit on a 3-0 pitch, for, and he hit for a home run. And also, when you look at the, it was the bottom of the ninth, I believe, or top of the ninth, uh, excuse me, in that game, up by a lot. And he hit a home run, and the pitcher was a positional player at the time. 3-0 count, he was told to just take the ball, and he hits a home run. His his managers come out and said, his response was interesting. He kind of said that he will be reprimanded behind the scenes for that. And then the next night, he gets a pitch thrown behind him, a clear shot of what he did. And the pitcher who threw that pitch was later ejected. Now looking at the situation, Antonio La Russa, he's come out. He said that he'll be reprimanded behind the scenes for this. And he's also called out uh, another player on the team, Lynn, as well. He said that there's a reason that Lynn puts on a jersey, and I'm kind of the manager of this team. When you look at these responses, if you're a player for this team, how do you respond to hearing your manager come out and talk like that? Probably not well. Uh what I've seen a lot of is the only possible positive you can get out of this is it's bringing the locker room together with a hatred of Tony La Russa, which is not what you want. It's, it's bringing the guys together, but with a dislike of your manager is not really how you want to bring guys together. And... It, it just baffles me that people can still think this way. There are a lot of factors into this whole scenario and this whole how this has played out. They were uh, the White Sox were up eleven points or eleven runs, and yeah, they don't really need the home run. But if you look at like statistically how it's going to affect these guys. The position player on the mound, Williams Ostadio, nobody's going to hold that against him. That doesn't matter. When he's trying to sign a new contract, nobody's going to say, oh, you gave up that home run that one time. But with Yerman Mercedes, that home run matters. He's been a 
guy who has bounced around the minors for a long time. And he's finally made a major league team for more than one at bat. And he's doing very well. Why would you slow him down? Why would you do that? It's nonsensical. The only small concession I can make to Tony La Russa is, all right, he missed a sign. and Or he ignored a sign. That's what you can kind of call him on. But do that in private. You don't have to go out and air your dirty laundry to the media. You handle that in-house. And I, I still... If, if a guy wants to swing away, let him swing away. You're not up there. Who cares? Yeah, I, I agree with you 100%. And it's the same thing when Tatis did it. Hit the Grand Slam um, just earlier just earlier this year. When I look at it, it's, it's something that I think also when you look at viewership of the MLB, over the years has consistently gone down. And not like at a high rate, but it has dropped um, from what it used to be. I think this is part of the reason why you see things like this and also in terms of bat flips, things like that. These batters who do these fantastic things get reprimanded by getting hit by a pitch or getting a pitch thrown behind them or you have your manager calling you out. Those are the type of things that make baseball fun, make it interesting, make you want to watch. When Mercedes hit a home run for a positional player, I couldn't help but laugh a little bit. I enjoyed it. It was fun to watch. And I think that's exactly what the MLB should want. They should want them to be able to do things like that. And when you look at what Larusa said in the media, if I was a player on this team, I definitely would not like that whatsoever. That call out a player for doing his job. Does the other team have to stop trying to come back and win that game? No. If they could have had an opportunity to try to win that game, should they should the game just end there? If a player cannot go up to bat and hit a home run, why are we even playing the game at that point? The game should be called. There should be a run rule if that's not what you want. And I get it. Unwritten rules, it's sportsmanship, things like that. But in today's day and age, you have players fighting for contracts, fighting for their livelihood. That home run towards Mercedes stats is an important key into getting a future contract having reasons to say, okay, this is why you should keep me around. At the end of the day, his stats will get compared with someone else's and they're going to get a contract based off that. The more home runs he gets, the better that'll be. Why are you holding a player back like that? That's one question. Larusa coming out to the media like that, why would you do that? There's just a lot wrong with this. If I'm a manager, I absolutely stick up for my player every single time. I don't care if I gave him the a different sign or not. I stick up for my player at all times. And then when you get when Mercedes got the pitch thrown behind him, Larusa comes out and says, "Well, it's fine. You know, we probably would have done the same thing." Kind of along those lines. That's okay. Now you're not standing up for your player who got a pitch thrown behind him. That is something. When you see how fast these pitchers throw these days. You get hit with the pitch like that. That could seriously injure one of your players. And Mercedes has been a very good player for the White Sox so far this season. I just don't understand LaRusso's response whatsoever. It doesn't make sense to me. If I was an athlete on that team, it wouldn't make sense to me. I wouldn't want to play for a guy like that. You want to play for a coach and manager 
who's going to be there for you at all times, stick up for you. And he's not doing that, and he's blatantly doing it, openly doing that. I definitely would have been a big fan of that. Tim Anderson has come out on social media later and said how he's they stand with Mercedes in this situation. And I think it's the right move, obviously. But I don't think it's going – I think it's going to – it's tough. When it comes to impact on the team, I think it will impact this team. And it starts with Larusa. I know if I was a player, I'd lose a lot of respect for him right then and there. Right then and there. If that was to happen to me. And I think that's going to be the same feeling within this team. And so, David, how do you think it will impact this team? I think overall it's it's going to be a negative impact until Larusa gets fired. He, he's got to go. And I don't want to be that guy, but... I knew this was going to happen as soon as he got hired to be the manager of the White Sox. I he's just he's kind of stuck in the past. He he isn't he he isn't present right now. He's not a modern manager. He it's it frustrates me because this is the main reason why People don't like baseball. These, like the slow pace of play is there, but these unwritten rules. And every time I always see, why are these rules unwritten? Because if you write them down, you finally see how stupid they are. The Twins put a position player out there who's throwing 47 miles an hour right down the middle. Well, they have available relievers. That's waving a white flag. That's giving up. And just because he hits a 3-0 pitch for a home run, he gets reprimanded. We saw last year Javi Baez go up and hit a double hitting lefty. And nobody really said anything about it. And I always think about this to people who are kind of angry about 3-0 home runs. Would you want him to just wait a pitch? Is that better? And... Just statistically, your odds of getting a hit, getting a home run, doing any uh, beneficial thing for your team goes down a lot when you're at a 3-0 count. It goes down a lot compared to... A 3-1 count goes down a lot compared to a 3-0 count, is what I'm trying to say. You have better odds at a 3-0 count. And to hit a home run is just smart. You, You play the game... To score runs, to win. He's doing his job. It, it drives me nuts. Yeah, it really doesn't make much sense to me. Players, um, apparently it does to Tony La Russa, though. So um, that's all that really matters there for the White Sox. And that concludes this episode of Unsportsmanlike Conduct. If you're on social media, follow us at KALA underscore UC. And if you're on Facebook, be sure to give us a like at Unsportsmanlike Conduct. Thank you for listening, and good night. See you.